I am James Sykes, CEO, President, Director of Baseload Energy Corp, Uranium Exploration in Northern Saskatchewan. Uranium is a hot topic, and I would love to discuss my company a little bit more in detail. It's super hot at the moment. It's super exciting at the moment. And we, we are going to discuss a little bit of macro, but um, ultimately, I want to understand how I differentiate you from the crowd. So let's talk about the markets at, at the moment. Your share price had a good reaction recently. Um, how do you take advantage of this? Keep pushing. Uh, we, we keep pushing with results. We're a result-based driven company. That's what we like. We love discovery. And we have $11.5 million in the bank to make said discoveries this year. So we're, we're launching our largest exploration program as a company since we formed in 2020. So a very exciting year. We've got targets on a number of projects. And I think each one of them have the characteristics that are synonymous with previous discoveries. So that's how we leverage ourselves in this market. Right. Okay. And we'll kind of get into the drilling, um, uh, the, the plan in a second here. But for people new, um, new into this space, and there's a lot of good news is there's a lot of people leading into uh, uranium as perhaps one of the only commodities going uh, green consistently at the moment. So um, you've got this theory around Athabasca 2.0. What is it? Athabasca 2.0 is a concept that you can discover near surface open pitable mineralization. That is amenable, I guess, yeah, amenable to open pit style of mining, close to infrastructure. And it just, it's based on the principles of past mining in the Athabasca, where open pits were the first deposits to all go into production, regardless of grade, regardless of size. If you had an open pit, basically went into production. And this is proven time and time again. These are the type of deposits that go from discovery into production within six to 12 years, not these 40 year wait arounds for deposits underneath the sandstone. These are the things that can move fast, move hard, and add value to your to your company. That's Athabasca 2.0. Okay, so that's Athabasca 2.0. So in terms of moving through the phase, you've, you've, been, you've done a lot of drilling um, so far. You're about, and what has that told you? What do, what do we now know before you launch into the new drill program this year? We know that the concept is real. Athabasca 2.0, it, it's a legit concept. With our Accio discovery in 2021, it's near surface. High grade uranium, close to a mill, it's amenable to open pit style of mining. So we know that this concept does exist and there are hidden deposits. We believe there are hidden deposits elsewhere outside of the Athabasca. So it's just a matter of being able to search for them. Right. Okay. So the, the concept is real, um, but what, 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 do you, what do you actually know about what's happening on underground? Can you give us a bit, bit more detail there? It's just a little bit more technical if you want as well. You never know what's happening underground until you drill. That's the reality of the situation. So take the I'll take the greenfield exploration approach first and say that basically you have to rely on geophysics to discover these things. You're not always going to find a boulder train. You're not always going to find anything at surface that will indicate there's you know there's mineralization underneath. So with that, you have to rely on geophysics to image the deep to image what's going on. 50 meters beneath the surface, 100 meters, 200 meters. That's our approach. We are very big on on geophysics to bring us into drill targeting, and then we we drill and hope that we hit. Typically, what we're what we're actually trying to find is not uranium itself; it's alteration because the alteration halos on all of these Athabasca style of deposits are are bigger than mineralization itself, and they have characteristics that will light up in geophysical surveys. Now, if I take the brownfield approach with, with Accio, where we do know that we have this Athabasca 2.0, we, we're trying to figure out what happens at depth. We focused on most of the 
most of the mineralization that was between surface and 200 meters depth. We haven't, so the low hanging fruit, we haven't focused on things that are deep, but we've relied on a lot of airborne surveys to get us to that, to that point. But now we have to, we do have to know what's going on at depth. So we're using all of the drill hole data, but also now we're looking at employing ground geophysical surveys that can map out the system at depth, looking for those structures, looking for where that alteration is and hoping that there's mineralization along along the along the structures of influence okay the, you're saying the kind of theory holds holds true so you're looking for these structures i think most people kind of want to see uranium numbers of you know say lighting lighting up the lighting up the um diagram the graphs that you show the diagrams that you show i should say um and the headlines that you that you write so again if you don't mind getting into the weeds with regards to this chasing these structures makes more sense why and what's 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 your, where's that come from? When you say it's historically open pits, et cetera, it suggests that perhaps other people have done it. I mean, how, why have you settled on this as a thesis for success? Because again, we, we believe that these are the type of deposits that, that can add value to a junior company, that a junior company can move these assets quicker, sooner, especially given a hot market. Yes, greed is always on the top of people's minds. Everyone wants to see these 5%, these 20%. Typically, you get those at the unconformity. So, and you need you have a lot of sandstone on top. Those are the type of deposits that have issues. There are numerous deposits that are over fifty million pounds in the Athabasca that were discovered back in the seventies that still have not seen any production. Have no no visible line site for production to this date. Look at Cigar Lake. You know, it's touted as being the the highest grade uranium mine in the world right now. Took over. It took about forty years to go from discovery into production. It's a long time. Investors don't want to wait, wait around 40 odd years. Even, even the companies probably don't want to wait around 40 odd years. So to expedite things, you have to find these deposits. They take Arrow, for example. Arrow was basically the, there was really starting to kick the can down the road. Well, the can was already being kicked by the time I joined NextGen. But when we discovered Arrow, it's all basement hosted. Arrow is completely basement hosted. A little bit of it's touching the un unconformity, but the bulk of it is about 300 to 500 meters beneath that unconformity. So pure basin hosted. The idea being that if you've got arrow, you know, you've got arrow here and you've got surface up here. If you let nature do all of its work and erode over billions of years, you can bring arrow closer to surface. So if you found, if you found an open pitable arrow, what does that do for your company? What does that do for a junior company? Huge. Absolutely huge. You'd have an amazing deposit on your hands. You'd have the big dogs looking at you. It's that's we are trying to always discover the highest grade possible, um, highest grade deposit as possible. What nature is, what nature is. Nature is what nature is, and a basin does what a basin does. There's a, there's, there's a lot of wa water in there. We've we've heard talk, you know, from some of the advanced players about you know freeze walls, freeze domes, etc. Um, but also um, from some of these hard grade deposits, which you, you talk about. So there's a lot of pounds in the ground there. You're saying it, it has, in some cases, taken 30, 40 years for them to kind of get into production. Was that a, a factor of the fact that it's relatively new to Canada? Was that, fa was that a technical factor in terms of being able to you know, manage water tables, um, et cetera? Or was, what, 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 were the, what were the problems that they incurred, which you think you won't? And if you could explain why you won't with the open pit solution. It's all water. All water. So the Athabasca sandstone is a flowing aquifer, the entire basin. 
If you go down 100 meters, there's still water within those sediments. If you go down 1,000 meters, there's still water, even more water under pressure. Uh, the best example that I heard was the Midwest deposit, again, discovered back in the 70s, about 50 million pound deposit, over 5% average grade. That should be mined anywhere else in the world, but it's 200, it has 200 meters of sandstone cover on top of it. They tried underground mining. They tried an underground test mine in that. There's, there's a shaft there right, right, by the, right by the deposit where they ended up pumping out 25,000 liters of water per day. It's a lot of water. Once it's in contact with uranium, you have to consider that to be contaminated. So now you have to deal with that. You can't just take the water and dump it back onto the surface. You have to treat it. So it's a big, it's a big issue. And again, that, that water flow, that's something that you really have to deal with that. So what's been tried, tested, proven, and true in Saskatchewan is you can't do an open pit with greater than a hundred meters sandstone cover on top of your deposit. Just that, that right at about a hundred meters of thickness, that water flow becomes too much. So if you can discover mineralization with, with no water, such as all these basement open pit deposits that have been mined previously or shallow or, or with a little, uh, less than a hundred meter sandstone cover, such as the Sioux deposits and the, the Collins Bay deposits, then you can mine those as open pits because the water issue isn't as high. So yes, it, it all really boils down to one technical issue and that's water. Cigar Lake and MacArthur River are the only two mines that have gone underground in the Athabasca Basin. Both of them were the largest or 300 million pounds. Both of them had over 20% U308 grade. So the value of the rock that they were pulling out, it, nothing's comparable to that in the world. But they had to freeze. They both have to freeze the the mining operation, like the, the rocks around the mining operations. That's a 24-7, 365 day a year operation. And it's not cheap. Okay. And okay. And, 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 and obviously there are a few other companies talking the same same uh, game. And it's it's not just 24-7-365, it's years. Years. And what happens next? Re re remediation. It, it, as, as, as well, so it, it, it's, it's, I know it's a big question that's asked there, but people can't, you know, take their eyes away from this super, super high grade um, uranium that they're, they're seeing under the ground. So, come back to the second half of my question, which was: so, why is yours different? You're, you're not having to manage as much water, water at all, and, and how do you do that? Because you're, you're in the Athabasca Basin, aren't you? We're outside, conveniently located outside of the Athabasca Basin, though. With Technically, we don't have any water issues to deal with. Not not the way that the sandstone would. would we'd have groundwater issues, which everybody has. Uh, that's you know within the overburden. But after that, once you get into the basement rocks, they're they're too crystalline to have the same porosity and allow the same water flow. It's much much simpler. But um, you've been talking about this thesis for a while. Do you think people get it? understand it or do you think there's too many people with vested interests interests out there who perhaps don't want that conversation to um to be had question i honestly don't know if people do get it yet because nothing you know we've proven our thesis that these deposits exist but we haven't proven the second part either that they can be brought be brought into production in a quick time frame and i think if we can do that then we really justify our thesis has anybody else really adopted the model? There have been companies before us that that have looked at it. Like in the 70s, there was a lot of exploration outside. I just think we've taken a completely different approach and stopped focusing on what everybody else focuses on. Everyone's focused on graphitic conductors, EM conductors, EM conductors, EM conductors. It's like 
that's not always the case. Accio, Accio Discovery is not an EM conductor. So we look for structures. We look for big structures, structures that would repeat or be active over hundreds of millions of years. And the more active a structure is, the more fluid porosity you would have in the area, regardless of EM conductivity or not. So that's the big thing that, that we really differentiated ourselves on. Plus the idea of you don't have to be close to the base and edge to find these things. Uh, the, the, the old school of thought was that the base and edge or the unconformity continued on a, on a slope like this. So if, if this is the current base and edge right here, my wrist, and you know, you want to figure out how far you'd have to be if you're this far away, well, you're a thousand kilometers beneath the unconformity where it was eroded. No, 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 it's not the case. Basin, basin morphology, you have slopes, but then they always flatten and they slope and flatten, slope and flatten. There's always a plateau. And we believe that what was eroded previously to what we have in the basin today, it was all part of the plateau. And that changes, that changes the scope because now, you know, if you, if you're a hundred kilometers away from where the edge is now, and people are saying you're a kilometer deep, uh, -uh because if it was all plateaued, you can be a hundred kilometers away and that unconformity could have been right there. So like, like Denison's Griffin deposit, like Arrow, like Rough Rider, all these things are, they're close to the unconformity. They're 30 meters away from the unconformity in most cases. If that unconformity was there and just a little bit of it got removed, you would preserve all of your mineralization at depth. Okay. And, but what about some of the things which kind of hold Canadian projects back more broadly. So, you know, open pit mining in Canada, if that's going to be your solution to getting in, into production quickly, how is that viewed? Are there other examples where um, that is happening? Um, are there any conversations that are hard to indicate that that's perhaps what people want locally? Don't know if that's what they want locally. Things have changed in the past 15 years, which the, aside from, so Cigar Lake, which is an underground mine, was the last mine to come into production in the Athabasca. Before that, there were three open pits. Before those, it was MacArthur River. And then before that, it was open pits, open pits, and open pits. Open. There are more open pits in northern Saskatchewan that are mined uranium than underground mines. That's a fact. So it's, it's a jurisdiction that Northern Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan as a whole, Athabasca is a jurisdiction that has has previously had numerous open pits. It's not new; it's there. the 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 permitting side of it, the licensing side of it, is all there. Nothing has to be reinvented with the government. Consultation wise, that that is that always been there. It's a little bit more ingrained now, which is a good thing. But it, as far as the environmental side of things go and the consultation side of things go, I think they're all in line. They're all aligned. And it just, it makes things a little bit more synergetic. These, these open pits, like they're not massive. Because when you, when you consider some of the, the scale of these things, there really aren't these big whopping open pits like Chuki Kamada. And I think that's where a lot, when people hear open pit, they think of these massive operations, Bingham Canyon, Chuki Kamada, these things that really just leave this massive presence in, in, on, on the face of the earth. The open pits that we're looking at in Saskatchewan are tiny, extremely tiny. 
They're little pockmarks, and they can be reclaimed, recovered, and converted back to nature in a very quick time frame. Especially if that's planned for right out the gate, that can definitely be done. Let's let's look at the market. Okay, we we started this conversation, and this really, by the way, this is a, a, a session of discovery for people who've n- never heard the story before. We're really being introduced to uranium for the first time. So, apologize to those who know everything you've heard so far. The market needs to be. We're seeing that we're seeing spot price run, right? Which was great, and hopefully, you know, term price catches up with that, and. We start seeing a lot more buying in the market, and and, and that 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 continues. And I'm sure there's a big conversation that could be had around where does spot get to as an indication of you know where uranium is going, right? Because it has a very different profile from say you know the you know lithium and nickel and rare earths and, and cobalt, which have you know seen better days uh, recently, seen better days recently. The drivers are there, so the, the price will run. But equities is not are not necessarily following suit as quickly. They're not make, they're not replicating that profile. We're not seeing sort of troubling of of um, share price over the last you know eighteen months in, in all instances. So for a company like you, you've got eleven million in the bank. You're about to do a drill program which starts with Feb, end of Feb, beginning of March, mid when, when mid February, mid Feb, mid Feb. Okay, cool. Um, so we're still getting some results. You've got to be very conscious of the the data that you're chasing. To allow you to do, you know, you know, continue to do smart drilling, and the data that you're going to have to put out to the market to kind of make them understand that this thing has got legs. That yes, the thesis holds true. Yes, we we're onto something. Uh, we're onto something big, or whatever it is that you think you got to do. So, what you, what specifically are you going after, and what is the data that you'd like to be able to come back to market with? Well, we're always going after discovery, and that's. To discover uranium is one thing, to discover high grade is another. You can't you can't target high grade. Like we're from from a greenfield perspective, it's not like you can pick a target and be like, oh well, this is gonna be high grade. This is our high grade target. It doesn't work like that. You just you, you have again, as I mentioned earlier, you have to explore for the alteration, you have to explore for the structure. You gotta find where the fluids go. Whether those fluids carried uranium or not, that is the one thing no geophysical survey can tell you. And that's that's the reality of the situation. Being able to identify the right fluids that could be uranium bearing versus not is another thing, and you can only get to that through drilling. So we're going to target we are going to target areas that have the right structures, have what we do believe is a hydrothermal alteration presence, and we will drill them off. If there's high grade there, fantastic, and we're laughing all the way, and our shareholders are going to be joining us with big roar of laughter as well. If we're finding uranium. Great. Maybe that does lead us to higher grades, because the best best way to find uranium is to follow uranium. No other. There's no other pathfinder out there that says, "Well, let's let's follow boron and we'll find uranium." No. Again, it doesn't work like that. You want to find uranium, you follow uranium. Simple. Don't complicate it. If there's high grade or not, to be determined. If there's, you know, I going back to Accio again, just because people like to know grades. I take all of our grades at Accio. We have about 0.3% average U308. A lot of people say that's low grade. Sure, it's low grade when you consider it to MacArthur, Cigar Lake, but it's not low grade when you consider it to global operations. So why can they mine? Why can they mine 0.05 or less percent U308 in Namibia? I know the you know all of the, the the operating costs are a lot lower. But if it was a milling issue or an extraction issue. 
then you wouldn't be able to extract 0.05 U308 from the rock. It would just be impossible. But you can do it with 0.3. It's no problem. It's been Again, it's been tried, tested, proven true in the Athabasca. So we're, we're looking for uranium. If the grade is there, fantastic. If it's not there, we will try to find higher grades, even at Accio. You know, we do think there's depth potential, and maybe there's higher grades at depth. We can't image it. There's no way we can tell if there is. We just have to follow all of the results, all of the data that we have at our hands and try to make the best of it for our, for us and our shareholders. Okay. So, um, drawing starts mid, mid Feb. um, obviously we'll see lots of results kind of come with, have you allocated, have you actually got a drill plan as in, you know, where you're going to be drilling in terms of the targets, you know, how many holes, how many meters are going in that that's all done. Is it, is that announced to the market? Yep. Not announced to the market yet. It has been through kind of interviews like this but nothing officially through a news release, which should be coming out before the end of the month. Definitely before we get drilled. We'll we'll come out with the 2024 plans, and then we'll follow up with our drill plan at our Catharsis project, which is going to happen mid-February. Right now, we've got about five targets laid out for Catharsis. Helicopter supported, looking at about 2,000 meters of diamond drilling. Very excited. Some of these targets are just, they're no-brainers to us. But again, doesn't mean that there's going to be uranium. Doesn't may not even mean that the alteration system is there. Just this is what the data, this is what the geophysical data is showing us. This is what we think is there based on previous examples, previous areas we've worked. And just hopefully, hopefully our interpretation is right. Hopefully the drill bit proves our thesis correct as well. Right, okay. And one final word on the market. Have you have you got views on where this thing goes and how people play it? Because it's 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 kind of, it's kind of interesting, you know. I think there's that sort of all boats float on a high tide um, is is what one one way of playing it. But for you guys, you're going to be getting out there and, and, and drilling hard. What are the other things that people need to be aware of or looking at? And, um, you know, that you view important. I don't think there is any caution this time around. I really don't. No, I, there's always caution. Everyone has to do their own due due diligence to who they want to get into. But I see this market being sustainable and prolonged. Unlike what happened between 2005, 2007, the price did speak, spike and then came back down. It looked like it was leveling off at around $80, between 60 and 80 And then Fukushima happened, just destroyed everything. But I don't think this will be the same. Even if you had another Fukushima, I don't think the, the global governments are in a in a position to to really get to remove nuclear from their portfolios. I think they really have to continue to look at it as a part of the solution. You know, I, I read just the other day that the IAEA was blasting Germany for getting rid of their nuclear plants. That's the I, IEA do it saying all that. So that's it, it, that means quite a bit. Uh, a lot of a lot of the sophisticated people I know all believe that nuclear energy is a part of the solution. We're not saying it is the be all and end all, but it is definitely a big part. If you want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it's the cleanest, safest, uh, less polluting energy source, baseload energy source that we have out there. You want ninety percent efficiency? That's that's your that's nuclear energy. So it, and with all the buildouts we're still seeing, and SMR is starting to come online. We, the demand continues to grow and yet the supply continues to lag and there's that that gap is going to exist there for a while which will theoretically continue to to drive up the price and maybe even maybe even that term price will continue to move as well I, I think this is a great environment and people have not missed the boat 
So if there's any any FOMO out there, there's there's no reason to be afraid of that. You've not missed anything. We're still we're still very early on in this game, and the right companies can still make great rewards for for any investor out there.